0: Hello, Sac State students, and welcome to the first episode of the State Hornet Spotlight, a new companion piece to our regular The State Hornet podcast that will act as a series of audio profiles, long-form one-on-one sessions with special guests. This episode's guest is Barry Axius, an activist, father, and chef. The founder of multiple social programs here in sacramento including most prominently voice of the youth axius and his organization voice of the youth were featured over the summer in a state hornet video story on the shooting death of zari allen a sacramento state student who was killed in a drive-by shooting at sacramento memorial lawn cemetery with detectives stating that they do not believe allen was the intended target that video story was filmed by hornet reporter sarah nevis who is going to be the one interviewing mr axius today as he talks about the state of modern activism what it truly means to defund the police, and more. Thank
1: you for listening. All right. Thank you, Sac State students, for joining us today. My name is Sarah Nevis, and I am a multimedia reporter for The Hornet. I want to introduce you to Barry Axios. And Barry, if you can, tell me what what organization are you with, and what type of projects do you work on?
0: Um, shoot, I'm with Voice of the Youth, and I I work on um, almost any project that deals with Black people being oppressed. Centered Voice of the Youth was directly dealing with, I hate to say the term at risk uh, Black youth, but in reality, it was just young people in general, uh, spec- specifying young Black um, young young Black children in um, in general that. Um, just needed direction and needed some guidance, needed some mentorship. Um, That has spawned to um, deal with multiple different levels of community um, activism, as well as community charge, um, things such as community violence, um, domestic violence, um, the education system that um, deals with our community, as well as entrepreneurship, um, the the economic challenges our community has and faces, um, mental health as well as um, running food programs. So there's a whole like line of things that Voice of the Youth has done from since 2008. But I feel like I'm mostly known for now is my activism.
1: Some people may have a negative connotation when they hear the word activist. Tell me what being an activist means to you.
0: An activist, I mean, I think it has have, um, a lot of meanings. Um, when I look at activism, I, I, I always direct uh, my ancestors um, some of the great activists from the Harriet Tubmans all the way to the um, Malcolm Xs, um, as well as the Black Panthers, who I feel like um, the last piece of great activism probably came through them, because not only did they activate um, in their activism to kind of show the how show how racism has affected their community, but it also gave us a uh, as I call a black blueprint. On how we're supposed to create activism into actual action, like we're asking for change, but this is how we're going to change and shape our community. So, as many people know, the um, the WIC program, you know, came from the Black Panthers. Um, many of the after school programming that um, has been designed were kind of, you know, made off of what the Black Panthers did, and, and giving the food, and and protecting their community, and offering jobs. So, with me, with activism, it's just. It's more than a protest. Um, It's more than just going and voting. It's more than being a person on the scene, speaking on issues. It's also an individual or organization that really can kind of understand the pulse of the community, what the community needs. But at the same time, if you're going to be able to say, we want to dismantle a system, that we are creating the alternatives to the system. I feel like activism has become like the new hustle right it's become like this new idea everybody feels that they can jump in no credentials and when i say credentials i'm you don't have to have a degree but i feel like you have to have some real stock and you have to have some um integrity and a little bit of credibility on what you've done as me creating my own organization before i even started in the activism work kind of giving me a little bit of okay well this dude's kind of credible kind of kind of feels some of the um the definite things that have been weighing in our community that has never left, just to be very clear, but at the same time knows how to organize, um, knows how to lead, knows how to follow, and knows how to create systems within systems and how to um, maneuver in in, in different places that you have to learn how to and how to talk when needs to be talked, how to follow when you need to follow and how to activate other people and and really influence other people in the right way. I think now a lot of this that's going on currently, I'm not saying that some people don't have um, good intentions, but I feel that a lot of the intentions nowadays are made with um, folks looking for clout and folks trying to uh, create a star almost in a sense of Hollywood for what activism really truly is not. I think the one thing that is missing from activism a lot more with a lot more organizations, folks are finding themselves being on the streets, not being really in the communities, trying to figure out what are the needs of our community and how can we service that. I think that the Panthers, why I say that was probably the last great bit of activism that we've seen, because they not only knew how to channel their energy to fight the system, but they also spent their time creating and creating and building. And I think that a lot of times folks forget that part. It's part protesting. We need that um, lobbying for different um, changes And initiatives, as far as um, local and statewide government, we need it. But sometimes we have to kind of focus on what they're not focusing on and the reason why we're fighting that fight. I think that one of the greatest things that the Black Panthers ever did, they policed their own neighborhood. So that kind of was the reason why they spawned, right? They, they, the, the, the spawn of the Black Panthers was about brutality, right? It was about police brutality, the same thing that uh, most of activists are dealing with currently right now, even though there's a lot of different activism that happens with homelessness and things of that nature, but a lot of it's channeled on police brutality, police terror. And what they did is not only protected their community and armed themselves, but they also made it so uncomfortable for the police to even come into their neighborhoods because it was like, why are you here? We don't need anything. (laughs) You know what I mean? We don't need you for food, water, and shelter. We don't need you to deal with the people in the community that some would be, huh, we need to talk to to Johnny. and We don't want to call the police. The Panthers would go take care of Johnny. The Panthers would go take care of the drug dealers. And I don't really see That kind of activism in our community in the way that the Panthers did it. And I think that probably um, weakens what the activism could be moving forward. Those things come hand in hand. I'm not the individual that's going to just go, let's go ahead and knock on the door and beg the oppressor to open up the doors and open up their wallets or change their minds. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the alternative. And the alternative will be, this is what we're going to do. We don't need you, because mine into the notion that they need us more than we need them. We are just conditioned to believe that we really need this system.
1: So Barry, I'm curious, how long have you been an activist? And how did you get into activism?
0: I would truly say it really started in 2008 um, when I started Voice to the Youth. But what really pushed it was in 2013, when I saw Trayvon Martin Not only being ridiculed, um, his character assassinated, but the the clear vision and the idea of racism that clearly was something that a lot of us Black folks wanted to pretend was no longer there. Because we wanted to believe um, that the progression of America, especially when Obama um, was elected, was getting to some place where we could be um, formatted in a way where you were basically looking at an individual as their character, not their color. But unfortunately, bestowing to what we know, Trayvon was like the immediate, oh, don't forget, you're still a Negro. And then 2014, right behind that, um, you had the Mike Brown situation that I think really took activism back to the levels of the civil rights back to where the levels of the Black Panthers. And I I, I really feel like here in Sacramento, it needed that kind of push because literally um, it was a ghost town when it comes to activism in Sacramento. <laughs> there weren't people out there um, initiating and not saying that there weren't, I believe like in the, there the, the, some homeless movements, there was an the Occupy Wall Street movement, but in the way that you see it now clearly Um, Folks can sit there and try to, you know, do the research. But I've been here and I know folks and folks will tell me that Sacramento has never been turned up like this with as many activists and many, um, you know, activist organizations that they have currently. And I feel 2014 was a turning point when we challenged um Sacramento, a lot of the folks that I was um, doing the work with at that particular time, when we challenged them to think a little bit differently, as well as challenged the mayor at that time, Kevin Johnson, to say, hey, you know what, dude, I know you see this stuff going on in Ferguson, but we have the same exact problems with policing and other things over here. And for them to turn a blind eye, I think that was a real turning point to why we are at the place that we're at. This has been years and years of oppression that has not been treated. This has been a cancer that has just been lingering around that has never got diagnosed here in Sacramento. And so individuals like myself and others were not afraid to speak out on it, oftentimes we think about MLK and we believe in that I have a dream, but we don't often think about the MLK, the one that said, I brought you Negroes into a burning house and you don't think about the MLK that's talking about economics. So we were more or less on that.
1: And I'm curious, what are your thoughts about what happened to Zari Allen, who was a Sac State student, and how her case has been handled?
0: Um, It sucks Um, me having a daughter. Um, as I always tell for people first, I mean before I'm a mentor, before I'm an activist, I'm a father first. If they could just sit there and say Barry Axius the father, um, that would be the best title that they could give me. But you know, things are what they are, and who wants to listen to a father, especially a black father? We we some folks believe we don't exist, but we do. <laughs> the violence against black women is just it's just um, it's climbed in numbers. She was not targeted; she was on the at the wrong place at the wrong time. But the way the police have handled it. Um, They've handled her life almost as if she deserved it, as if she was a part of whatever tag they want to kind of create. She was a part of gang banging. She was a part of um, some gang war. They just almost kind of leave her case. And I honestly believe they probably know more than they know, but they're trying to build a bigger case for whoever they're trying to take down. Because our young people have been so ignorant to the levels of, of putting every bit of their business on social media. I don't see how you can't log in. You see somebody that's kind of basically, um, you know, taking, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the honor, if they want to call it honor, but basically saying, Hey, Hey, you see what I did over at the cemetery? Because that's kind of like, unfortunately our kids nature, they're celebrating death. Um, they're, uh, of celebrating having bodies. It's it more or less we were worried about kids having sex. Now it's like we're worried about kids catching bodies in a way where they're glorifying death in, in, in such a inhumane way where we really have to get to our young people to get them back to let them know, hey, when you kill somebody, that's a rap. And when you kill someone that could be a rap for you too. So it just speaks to the volumes of how black lives Black women's lives, excuse me, are not valued in a way. Um, right now, I'm working with her family. Talk to some of my my good friends. Um, one of my brothers, Hakeem, over there at uh, Sac State, and we're going to be doing um, something in the next few weeks, actually, for her in front of um, one of the, the big uh, campus signs at Sac State, bringing her family in, because we want answers. Um, she deserves justice, and I think that there needs to be more of a uh, aggressive stance to find the murderers because whoever killed her is still moving around. Myself and my team, we're trying to create more of an awareness on um black female death here in Sacramento. And we want to have it to have the same sense of urgency as other initiatives and other things that continue to plague our streets and continue to plague our city. But um, overall, I just look at her death as I looked at Taylor Blackwell's death that we were working on. And um, the four to five months where we had absolutely no answers to anything, it was almost kind of, slipped under the rug. And and to me, it's very unfortunate. Um, I know if it was a, a white child, all right, that was in a different area code, um, you know, this would be probably a different story. we probably have this, if a white girl got killed at a cemetery, we'd be talking about this nonstop. I don't think there'd be, there would have been no way to where the story would have kind of slowed down. They would have figured out other ways to continue to bring light to the story, but you're talking about black women. You talk about black women. What's sensational about that? They're black women. It's spectacular. And you can sensationalize black men dying by police because that's what we're used to seeing black men dying by police. So these are the kind of things that um, myself and my individuals, the team that I have collectively, and other individuals we collaborate with, we're making sure that all lives are going to matter, especially black women's.
1: And speaking of initiatives, I was wondering what are some of the social justice initiatives in process right now and what will they accomplish?
0: I think one of the social justice initiatives that I feel has kind of been, uh, <laughs> it literally has been sunken in a, in a deep place because so much of the narrative of defund the police has created this idea that we are saying that we don't want to have no police. Now, don't get me wrong. There are individuals that don't want to do anything and want to abolish police with the snap of their fingers. And I understand that. And, and, and one day, hopefully, we can get to that place where we can police our own. But I feel like when we say defund the police, this is just saying let's reallocate the funds for police to communities that are deserving and underserved and are over-policed and that are continuing to be terrorized by the same people that they say is supposed to protect and serve. If a public does not feel safe, a particular public that does not feel safe, don't you think that we need to um, now channel and looking at what does public safety truly mean, the definition of it? How can we say public safety and these are the police where they fall under if you continuously turn on the TV, put on uh, social media, you'll open up the news and you're seeing dead black bodies? That's not public safety. And we're not even talking about the Latinos that are getting killed that don't get no press. So what we're saying, defund, we're saying, you know what, me, myself, As I speak on it and define it in a way that me and my colleagues are saying, we're saying police officers, yes, we agree they have a a hard and difficult task. Think about it. Officers go to trauma after trauma after trauma. Imagine you and I, we're partners, we're driving, we got a 12-hour day, first of all. We got a 12-hour day, and one minute we're getting called uh, we start off our day easy. One minute we're getting called to come and help us take the cat down. All right, we're going to come get the cat down. Now we go and get called. There's a, a robbery. Okay, the robbery and the suspect shot one person. So we have to rush over there and we, one of us is giving CPR and, and medical aid. And after we leave that, getting done with that, we get another call of, of, of someone being raped. Now we're dealing with the rape victim. And this is all within a span of 12 hours. We have had no time to readjust, to reflect, to uh, uh, unpack all of the trauma we just seen. Now, you and I get off after a 12, well, now a 14-hour day because we're doing so much paperwork. The first thing we're probably going to do is, hey, let's go get a drink. And we're going to start trying to talk about this stuff. But guess what? In about five, eight hours, we're back on the clock. And the next day becomes even more aggressive. So you're trying to tell me that these police officers that continually go into our, 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 our streets and our communities start creating these biases, start creating these stereotypes, even if they are not attempting to, they could come in with a, I look at everybody based on character, not on race, not on color, but start seeing a scenario where why the hell I keep on coming to this black community and these people are doing drugs. These people are doing this. This kid keeps cursing me out. You start consuming some of the rhetoric, some of your folks that are in your police precinct have told you. And now it starts mirroring in your performance you mirror some of the negative things that they've said about these people that you are policing. So you don't go in there with this 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 bright attitude of thinking that here I am to, to uh, save and keep this community safe. I'm thinking I got to save myself and my partner, and I want to go home at night. So the whole idea that we're not even attempting to look at what we are saying as a community of not devaluing the work that they do, but helping them take some of the work off their plate. A police officer shouldn't be going to every um, uh, mental health uh, uh, you know, call. They shouldn't be going doing welfare checks. They should not be a part of some of these different things. So when we're talking about defunding the police, I mean, let's look at what's going on, family. We are not there yet to say we can police our own. But clearly, them policing us is a more difficult task than they would even want to admit. So this is kind of the initiative that has gotten glossed over. Why? Because the narrative has been the freer mongering of, here we are, rioters, protesters, how you protest. Well, they're they're breaking windows, graffiti, some stuff got burnt. Woo-wee, let's talk about that. And that is far from why we're even here. We're here truly because of many things, but let's just go on to one particular thing. Police officers keep killing unarmed Black people. I, maybe that's why we're here. Think about if police got reprimanded in a way that you and I would if we messed up on the job. We would be fired, and then we would have to fight on the back end, not get a paid vacation and have a bunch of your buddies in the DA office and and the attorney general that are all working together and a police union that's going to support damn near anything you do by making sure you don't get no time. You may not be a police officer here, but we're not going to give you the full penalty of anybody else who is a citizen doing that. And to me, that's, that's outrageous because we're the ones, our tax paying dollars, fund them. So how do we not have a choice to say what we want to see in our policing, in our neighborhoods? That's blasphemy. That's crazy. And this idea that they would constantly try to change the narrative about how we're supposed to protest and how we're supposed to do this and how we... I mean, that's ridiculous. And it frustrates me and it angers me because, again, you guys are missing the point. There was a reason why Colin Kaepernick decided to you know, sacrifice his own livelihood. It was a reason. And nobody wanted to hear and pay attention to that reason. And then all of a sudden, eventually, now you got the whole world wanting to kneel. Now you have the whole world wanting to now listen to what Kaepernick has to say, but you didn't care in 2016 when he took a stand. You only cared when property was being burnt and people felt afraid that this was going to happen in their good, nice, pleasant neighborhoods that didn't look like mine. So this this to me, if there's going to be any initiative that we're really pushing, it has to be an initiative of defunding the police. It's for everybody's safety. Here in Sacramento, the sheriff <laughs> got a majority of the county CARES money. And it didn't go to any of the communities. Are you kidding me right now? Like, why are they getting that money? We're the ones that are starving. We're the ones that have uh, these food insecurities people can't eat. I mean, like, I had to create a program called Three Black Chef that was feeding number of number of people. We centered ourselves in Meadowview, but we fed all of Sacramento for three months. And we had to stop because our funding got low coming out of our pocket and the good people who started to donate and and really helped the program, which we are very grateful for. But you got the sheriff, Scott Jones, and his goons (laughs) who, who really took without any care to what's going on to the communities that they police took that money and was okay with it. That speaks volumes to me. So if we are saying that we have control because they actually truly, when you really break it down, they work for us. They work for us. It's our tax money. Why don't we have a say-so on how we navigate and what policing looks like in all our communities? Like that to me has to be at the forefront of conversation. I don't want to talk about no protesters. I don't want to talk about vandalism, ah, whatever. A few buildings burn, Ooh, do those black people don't come back those buildings rebuild and I'm very sorry it's very unfortunate I just drove down you know downtown and I saw some of those buildings that uh were were were, were looted and dis- some of them destroyed um at the at late May early June that still ain't up and running. I, it's unfortunate, but the most unfortunate thing about it all, those black bodies don't come back. Those buildings will eventually come back and be better than ever. Spanking bad new, brand new, but Breonna Taylor don't come back. Uh, Ahmaud Arbery, who didn't even die because of police brutality, but he died because if you think that, police brutality does not play a hand in the violence that white supremacists do to black people because they basically come from the same tree. uh, You you have a lot of these so-called supremacists that funnel in our police unions and our, our police force across America. The origin of police, for those who are listening and don't really know the origin, were slave catchers, the slave patrol. This is the origin. That's why I said, "What? Wh- when did we have a great community and police relationship?" So when you you, you think about Breonna Taylor's, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, uh, George Floyd, and, and there's so many others that highlighted um, this summer, and the Jacob Blake getting shot seven times in the back and being paralyzed, we talking about property? We talking about graffiti? We talking about broken windows? We talking about a few fires? But all we've asked is when these officers get out of line, please make sure they have some consequences. Please hold them accountable. Please be transparent on what's going on. And don't tell us as if we didn't see. Because of the most powerful thing about what happens now and what didn't happen before, we only had one source of media or the person that was victimized if they survived telling us the story. Now it's video recorded. So you can't tell me <laughs> that what happened to George Floyd was George Floyd's fault. You can sit there and make it up. You can't tell me, you know, what happened to to uh, uh, Jacob Blake was Jacob Blake's fault. You can't you 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 can't tell us that because we're seeing it with our own eyes. So our frustration is you spent all this time, all this time giving us these um, symbolic gestures of progress, taking knees, Black Lives Matter murals all over, wearing shirts and saying, you guys, we get it, we get it, police marching with us. And here we are in the same position, more Black people are dying, right? And ain't nothing changed, no reform, and we ain't even talking about defund police. And every time we talk about defund police, they're making it seem as if it's a bad thing. And you got other folks saying, why are we going to defund the police? We can't defund the police. Look at all these crazy Negroes running around. You can defund the police just like you defund schools, right? Just like you defund programs that are in these communities, serving these communities. You defund those all the time.
1: <laughs> right now, with social justice being on the forefront of everyone's mind, what is the way that the students and our listeners can get involved?
0: either join an organization, create an organization, but keep working. I mean, keep working um, at your craft. I don't feel like everyone has to go to every protest. That doesn't have to be your lane. I feel like when we do need numbers, I do think that folks should activate their activism, but there's plenty of ways of how you can activate your activism. Um, I think that we need to have less keyboard soldiers or keyboard activists that would like to um, you know, direct people on how to do things and never done anything themselves. But I, I really feel folks have to find a place that's comfortable for them. And if you're really going in to um, dismantle this system of white supremacy, um, this oppressive system that we have been facing for over 500 years, uh, you have to be very smart. You have to have a reality that it's not going to happen overnight. And that This is a very powerful force that won't allow its power to just be taken away just by some mere mortals. You know what I mean? Like this is a power struggle. Right. More than a race struggle. This is a power struggle. So understand you have to identify everything that we're battling with is power versus power. We don't got that much power. We may have strength in numbers, but we don't have that much power because I don't believe that folks, when they hear this. How they activate their activism is going to be key, because are they going to go um, and do it from the street level, or are they going to go do it behind the scenes? And behind the scenes helps the streets, and the streets help behind the scenes. If we all can be on the same page, what wonderful work that can be done, because we need lobbyists, we need DAs, we need people Um going and being council members and council women we, we we also need a few infiltrating in the police system and being okay with being marginalized and being called the snitch and probably taking what jackie robinson took when he decided to say i'm gonna go play major league baseball with a whole bunch of white guys um, even though i have a negro league and they don't want me here there's not enough of us fighting because there's too many of us are comfortable most of the people that listen to this are comfortable where they're at, will get a good job, will probably activate the activism in that moment, forget about it because they want to think that other people are doing the work or they want to believe that people will eventually change their mind and do better, but that's just not the case. And I think that a lot of the newer activists, they are not well-versed in their history. I will never, ever pretend that the work that I do is buried. I did this before. Nah, I'm on the backs of my ancestors. I walked the floors and the concrete they died and they paid the heavier price for. I'm honored and privileged to be able to read a book uh, by uh, Stokely Carmichael, to, to, to be able to hear the words of, of, of Malcolm X and uh, you know so many of the, the other leaders that are still here and some dead, and to go and understand their trails and their, their rites of passage to get here. I can never embrace it. This, this, this work, and say, "Oh yeah, I'm, 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 the one and only. I'm the realest." That speaks blasphemy, and I think too often times we have showboating going on instead of the work. Like folks want to get this like HBO deal documentary done. Like, yo, I got that HBO documentary they call me to go on CNN. Yo, those things are great, highlighted by the work that you do. But let the work be done because it's done for the people and it's out your heart, not for a payday.
1: Okay, Barry, we're gonna take a turn on topics to so a little lighter note. If you could <laughs> <tell> me-
0: <laughs> lighter, right? Hold on, a, second. Yeah, a little bit second. lighter.
1: If you could tell me about Urban Chef and how that started.
0: Okay, so the urban so it's three black. The Urban Chef is basically Barry Axius. I am the Urban Chef and. Three black chefs started with my brother, um, Chef Mike, and my brother, um, Chef Will. My brother, Chef Mike, Chicago-based, American-style cuisine, soul food cuisine. My brother, um, Chef Will, more Creole, Cajun, Louisiana-style cooking. Myself, I'm, I'm Haitian, so I'm the Caribbean. Um, you talk jerks, you talk oxtails, you're talking to me. Um, March, we looked at it. We diagnosed it. I told my brothers. I think that this pandemic is going to probably last a little bit longer than we believe. We know communities that we serve are very much food deprived, food deserts, um, food insecurities all over the place. We 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 we, we definitely we we salute um, a lot of the schools that were giving the free lunches, but I know um, our people deserve culinary masterpieces, and we wanted to be individuals that said, let us take the stress off of social distance learning, the stress of cooking. So we said, let us take the burden. Um, We put some high-level food together to serve our community uh, twice a week, served um, from anywhere to 2,000 people per day, always having at least eight youth working. And the eight youth working with the youth that we were making sure didn't get caught up um, were in a great positive space. We're learning how to give when we didn't have as much to give. It came out of our pockets. Uh, we started a foundation. Uh, then we put it out there to our community. Our community responded, helped support us for another month and a half. And um, we kept on going until we couldn't go anymore. And, you know, it was a beautiful thing. Three black chefs were still doing pop ups and still doing a lot of work. I know um, Chef Mike uh, continues to do some programming as well as me and Chef Will are more or less doing our our foods on the weekends um, for pay. <laughs> but, you know, to to make some to make some money. But that moment, I mean, I like to really say that we kind of set it off. A lot of the folks that have now been doing programs afterward after us. We're inspired by the work that we did, and I think that we did something so unique. We we um, definitely, Queen of Sheba, um, they, they connected with us, uh, you know what I'm saying? The Vegan Cafe, they connected with us, so we had the, the, the vegan options. Um, Shouts out to DJ Eddie Z um, and DJ One Gone. We brought a music element to it, so when folks were coming to get their food, they, it, it was like a, a family block party Every Thursday and Friday, I did not want to not one bit make a family ever think, one, they're asking for too much, two, to make them believe that they were getting a handout. No brother, no sister, no kids. You deserve that. Our community all was hurting. Everybody in our community needed a break. It needed a a, a upliftment for that time being. So to support that um, initiative was one of the highlights. Of the COVID-19, as I like to say, that we created uh, we created opportunities out of an obstacle, and the opportunity that we created. Now you have, um, you know, people like myself, my brother Les Simmons, who is doing his food component, and that's every um, Saturday at a Southside Christian Center. Then they're giving out like hundreds, uh, uh, you know, hundreds of just, just of bags of food. Every day, and they added a, actually a food component as well, where they're serving hot food, and that's what we did: hot food, ready to go, straight from the grill, um, all fresh product, and made with love.
1: All right, Barry, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, uh was speaking with me. I
0: thank you, Sarah. You had <laughs> me let you let me go on my little rant for a little bit. It probably will piss a few people off, but it's all right. <laughs> I like pissing people off I think when you're having to be on a string like a puppet I believe that you can't speak the truth the way you want to speak it and you can't bring on the people that will say what they need to say that you probably think but like I need Barry to say that right (laughs) let Barry say that but you allow it to be said and it's not framed in a way of you know we have to go to a commercial. Well, we got to cut it down to this or we're going to chop it up. You just allow folks to kind of go and speak the unapologetic truth. I don't speak for all black people. I only speak for some.
1: Well, again, I just want to thank you and I want to thank our listeners for tuning in.
0: All right. Appreciate you, sir. All right. Thank you. Peace.